Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast, as always, is brought to you by my sponsors, Liquidware, the platform agnostic workspace solutions provider, and also by Goliath Technologies, who help IT pros be proactive and anticipate, troubleshoot, and prevent end-user experience issues regardless of where IT workloads or users are located. And also, of course, brought to you by PolicyPack Software, where you use group policy or MDM to remove admin rights, manage and lock down applications, Java, browsers, and mitigate ransomware, plus more. If you enjoy the show each week, you have them to thank. And now for some news. The SolarWinds hack story continues to roll on this week, with Microsoft releasing a final statement regarding their investigation. They discovered that hackers could only read a few files on each repository that they hosted, but worryingly confirmed that for a small number of repositories, there was additional access, including in some cases, downloading component source code. These repositories contained code for a small subset of Azure components, a small subset of Intune components, and a small subset of Exchange components. Now, obviously, these are very widely used products, so that is concerning. But the good news is that Microsoft State, they have some pretty strict practices and QA to ensure credentials are not stored in source code. So they are confident that the repositories complied and did not contain any live production credentials. In the report, they also promote once again the importance of a zero trust approach. They promoted the same a few weeks ago too in a different statement. And for those with an interest in security, I suggest you check out show sponsor Policy Pack and their awesome least privilege manager. And honestly, everyone in IT should probably be interested in security right now because, because it is the 10 ton elephant in the room. Wired.com reported this week on the fact Apple have produced a new platform security guide which contains technical details of how its products and security features work, including aspects of the security around their new M1 chips. It reads like they provided even more information than usual in this year's report. So that's awesome to see Apple becoming a little more transparent around this. But unfortunately, just as they published this report, thehackernews.com ran a story about the first malware designed for the M1 processors spotted in the wild. Security researcher Patrick Wardle, who is really the authority on macOS security, detailed a Safari adware extension called GoSearch22 that was originally written to run on Intel x86 chips but has since been ported to run on ARM-based M1 chips. The Rogue extension, which is a variant of the Pirate advertising malware, was first seen in the wild on November 23, 2020, so it didn't even take them too long after the M1 chip. So it's still a relatively new strain of malware, and they pivoted toward M1 chips relatively quickly. GoSearch22 adware disguises itself as a legitimate Safari browser extension, 
when in fact, it collects browsing data and serves a large number of ads such as banners and pop-ups, including some that link to dubious websites to distribute additional malware. So it's pretty nasty. In some happier news, this week ControlUp officially launched version 8.2 of their product, which involves a brand new feature called Solve. It's a SaaS web app real-time console, which looks great and works very well at scale. Version 8.2 also features enhancements around Citrix cloud monitoring and support. There's support for Horizon RDSH and now full support for Igel OS. If you'd like to learn more about this new release, ControlUp is holding a webinar that takes place on Thursday, March 4th at 1 p.m. Eastern. And you can sign up for that and I'll share a link for the registration with this episode, which is episode 164. And you'll find that on 5bytespodcast.com under reference links. Microsoft are set to push KB4023057 once again. They are pushing it to non-enterprise releases of Windows 10, so it could come into play for some of your remote workers if they use their personal devices. This update includes reliability improvements to Windows Update Service, and it may also take steps to free up disk space on your device if you do not have enough disk space to install Windows updates. This update includes files and resources that address issues that affect the update processes in Windows 10 that may prevent important Windows updates from being installed. As this is a mandatory update, it will be automatically downloaded and installed on systems that need it. Betanews.com reports that this update may request your device to stay awake longer to enable installation of updates. So this is an update that they roll out from time to time just to ensure that your Windows update service and process stays healthy. A word of warning to all those Windows 10 users who also use BitLocker for encryption. Betanews.com is reporting that KB4535680 has been triggering BitLocker to prompt for the BitLocker encryption key. If this happens at scale, it could be a major problem for IT shops. I wouldn't want to be working in their help desk when those calls start coming in. So definitely proceed with caution with rolling out that Windows update. I believe this isn't even the first time that this has happened on Windows 10 with the Windows update. So this is an area where if you are using BitLocker, perhaps with MBAM, you really do need to proceed with caution with these updates because major updates to the operating system or even to the hardware on your machine can trigger BitLocker to prompt for this encryption key, which again is going to be a problem at scale when people are calling into the help desk to get that long ass encryption key to type in. It is a painful process. Adobe have warned of a critical vulnerability in Adobe Reader that is currently being exploited in the wild. ThreatPost.com reports that the flaw in question is a critical severity heap-based buffer overflow flaw, which I think this is like the fourth or fifth one of these types of vulnerabilities that are reported in the last three weeks. And this type of buffer overflow error occurs when the region of a process's memory used to store dynamic variables can be overwhelmed. If a buffer overflow occurs, it typically causes the affected program to behave incorrectly 
With this flaw in particular, it can be exploited to execute arbitrary code on an affected system. Adobe has released security updates for Adobe Acrobat and Reader for Windows and Mac OS, so this is going to be a version you'll want to take sooner rather than later. In a quick work from home related story, because I've been coming back to this since it's going to be a recurring theme for end user computing in particular over the next few years. Interestingly, this week I saw an Irish startup called Nearform posted a job advertisement looking for a senior DevOps engineer. And the only location requirement was that the person needs to be based in a European time zone. So the future is now. It doesn't matter where you are, if you're interested in a DevOps engineer position and you're within the European time zone in order to work with your colleagues, then this could be a job for you. And before I get away from the story about Nearform, I'd also like to say a quick congratulations to Nearform, who received an undisclosed amount in funding this week from Columbia Capital. Nearform developed a COVID tracker app for Ireland and also went on to create tracker apps for multiple other countries and even some US states too. I think relative to other apps developed out there in the world, their app has been pretty successful and well-received, so congratulations to Nearform. Citrix Optimizer version 2.8 has been released. It features a history node where you can see all previous runs of, of Citrix Optimizer, handy for auditing, they also added support for rollback in the user interface. And they say that while rollback has been supported since Citrix Optimizer version one, it was only available through the command line or PowerShell. You can read more about when you click on the rollback action, changes from the selected run will be reverted. It does exactly what it says on the tin. There's also been some nice UI changes, including new sorting options. There are also new templates as well as improvements to the template builder and more. So check that out. There was a pretty wild story this week from techthelead.com about a pretty serious fallout from the end of flash player support in China. A railroad system from the city of Dalian crashed for almost an entire day after Adobe Flash stopped working on Tuesday the 12th of January. There was a complete shutdown of the railroad that lasted up to 20 hours. In a statement, they said, during more than 20 hours of fighting, no one complained and no one gave up. The slim hope motivated everyone and turned into the fuel to push forward. In the solving of the flash malfunction, the depot displayed true initiative, innovation, and brilliance. So I'm sure people would read that or even hear me saying that, that statement from the authorities there at the railroad and think that, you know, maybe they screwed up in the first place because there had been warnings for three years that this was going to happen. But I actually like it. I like that at least publicly they showed appreciation <laughs> for the people who fixed the issue. I also wonder what the fix was in this case. Did they just roll out an older version of Chrome, for example, like the South African revenue ended up doing to support people who needed to get into the tax system and maybe file taxes. But I thought it was an interesting story, so maybe you did too. Bleepingcomputer.com reported that there is a Linux malware which appears to be targeting high-end supercomputers across the world. 
Security researchers at ESSET discovered the malware and named it Kobolos. At the time of this recording, they state the malware can target various different variants of Unix and suggest there may even be variants targeting AIX and Windows. Although the researchers spent months analyzing the malware, they could not determine its exact purpose because of the generic commands included and no specific payload, but they did discover SSH credential stealers present. ESID have notified all victims that they were able to identify and work with them to remediate the infection. The researchers have published a full technical analysis that includes indicators of compromise that can help potential victims detect the malware. A vulnerability in Cisco WebEx meetings, desktop app, and WebEx productivity tools for Windows could allow an authenticated local attacker to gain access to sensitive information on an affected system. This vulnerability is due to the unsafe usage of shared memory by the affected software. An attacker who's authenticated and has permissions to view system memory could exploit this vulnerability by running an application on the local system that is designed to read shared memory. And once they're in there, they could potentially exfiltrate data like usernames, meeting information, or authentication tokens, which could be troubling. To exploit this vulnerability, an attacker must have valid credentials on a Windows end user system and must log in after another user has already authenticated with WebEx on the same end user system. So some of the stars have to align in order for this to be manipulated. Cisco has also released software updates that address this vulnerability. Their statement says there are no workarounds that address the vulnerability, so patch, patch, patch. PC Mag this week revealed the Mac OS has dropped from second in terms of market share for operating systems to third, with Chrome OS leaping ahead of it. The figures reveal that Mac OS usage has actually increased from a 6.7% market share in 2019 to 7.5% last year. Windows actually suffered a steep drop, falling from 85.4% in 2019 to 80.5%. So that's almost a 5% drop. Chrome OS has been declared the big winner, jumping from 6.4% in 2019 to 10.8% last year, giving it a pretty significant lead over Mac OS. I don't think this comes as a huge surprise as people went to work from home a lot of these remote workers opted to get the cheaper Chromebooks rather than have to spend a lot of money on a Mac or potentially a Windows laptop. It'll be interesting to see maybe how Google can capitalize on their newfound increase in market share. NVIDIA have said the software for its forthcoming GeForce RTX 3060 card will limit how efficiently it can process Ethereum transactions by about 50% in a deliberate move to deter cryptocurrency miners from using the cards. The BBC reports at the same time they are set to release other cards aimed at cryptocurrency miners. So it's not a case that they're completely disowning the miners from using their cards. They're just trying to deter them from buying certain cards, which I guess is pretty smart because we all saw what happened when they released the other GeForce card last year when bots just started buying up 
all the available cards and caused a lot of frustration for like gamers and other people out in the community who wanted to buy them. In a quick hit story via Reddit, James Kettle has stated he has confirmed a story that was posted on the site earlier this week that the Brave Browsers Tor mode actually appears to leak the .onion addresses that you visit to your DNS provider. So the whole benefit of using the Tor browser, if you're executing Tor mode through Brave, you're not getting that benefit and it's pretty much pointless. Needless to say, this has irked a lot of people. To their credit, Brave have acknowledged the issue and they say that a fix is forthcoming and they've actually been working on the fix and had expected to already get it out, but have not been able to yet. But now I guess that it's so publicly exposed, they're going to put the fix up higher in the list of priorities to get out. So expect a fix for this pretty soon. Microsoft have announced that Office 2021 will be coming later this year for those who do not wish to use Office 365. There's also going to be the long-term service channel. I think that's what they call it as well, which I think for enterprise, that's still somewhat popular over going for Office 365, even though Office 365 has the different channels if you don't want to have to upgrade so frequently. But I digress. This is somewhat surprising to me though, that they're releasing 2021, because I can remember back in 2019, during the release of Office 2019, there were many reports that that version of Office would be the last with a push to get people to use Office 365 going forward. But I'm overall, I'm not mad at it. I think options are good. Uh, they must have seen enough demand to continue to produce this completely standalone version of Office. Mary Jo at ZDNet has reported confirmation that Windows 10 20H1 will be a minor release. Usually the spring release is more significant than the autumn releases, but not this time. Honestly, I think with the fatigue of so many in EUC right now, this is probably a good move. I think desktop teams could do with a bit of a break. Microsoft's Mark Rosinovich tweeted out Good news for RDC Man, which is Remote Desktop Connection Manager. His team have saved it from abandonment by bringing it into the sysinternal suite. He says, look for it in sysinternals in the near future. So that's great. It's great to have a free option out there. There are some superior paid options, but who knows, maybe with a little bit of nurturing and love and tenderness from the team at sysinternals, RDC Man may become a big player again. Finally, for the news, calling all EUC people out there. Applications to join the VMware vExpert EUC program are now open. So you don't have to be a vExpert in order to join the EUC program. If you feel like you contribute significantly to the EUC community, and if this is something that is an exciting opportunity to you, I encourage you to apply. And now this episode, scripts, tricks, and tips. Session recordings from the VMUG Virtual EUC Day event are now available, which cheap plug for myself, that includes my session on modernizing your application delivery to your virtual desktops. So if you want to check that out and all the other great sessions, I encourage you to go to the VMUG Virtual EUC 
day.vfairs.com site. And I'll share a link with this episode as I do with everything that I mention on each episode of the podcast with this episode, which is episode 164. And you'll find that on fivebytespodcast.com under reference links. Daniel Veppler posted a really great blog post on Android enterprise devices managed by Citrix Endpoint Management notes from the field. So obviously mobile device management, particularly with the work from home sprawl, and for me at least in a healthcare setting has become a even larger topic in the workplace. So if you're looking at managing your Android enterprise devices and you're a Citrix customer, you'll definitely wanna check out this blog post. It's got some really great insights and you could probably learn from what Daniel experienced in the field and not have to struggle so much by just reading what he encountered himself. Guy Leach's PowerShell script for mounting and unmounting of SIMPs, which are related to MSIX AppAttach, is now available. So if you didn't listen to last week's episode of the podcast, I mentioned how Guy and also Eric from zenappblog.com were tweeting about CIMFS, or SIMPs as I'm calling them, which significantly improves performance if you're trying out MSIX AppAttach. So you'll want to check out Guy's script if that's something that you're playing with and trying right now. The awesome Ashley Mayer had a pretty cool thing happen to her this week. One of her blog posts has been turned into an audio essay by nfx.com. The blog post is titled, It's Okay That Your Startup Doesn't Have a Communication Strategy. This is one that could definitely be of interest to all the entrepreneurs out there and just maybe anyone involved even working for a startup. Ashley's got a wealth of experience in the space of startups and is an angel investor too, so she definitely knows what she's talking about. She's also a really great follow on Twitter. If you want to follow Ashley Mayer on Twitter, I recommend it. The awesome Jim Moyle posted yet another video on his YouTube channel on WVD image management. And this time it's around application installation. If you haven't had the pleasure of attending Jim and Christian's master classes that they've held at the E2E events, which I actually didn't because I was presenting at the same time that the master classes were on, then this is a resource that you're definitely going to check out. Jim has put together so many hours of work. I'm sure it has to be hours of work on building out this video series. And he just has amazing content around FS Logics and WVD. And he's just a wealth of information. So check that out. Helga Klein shared a simple one-liner to query the status of all installed antivirus products using PowerShell and WMI. I could have read out the one-liner to you, but since it's an audio podcast, it's probably pointless. If you want to check out the video edition of this week's episode, it is on YouTube each week. You could see it there. Or of course, you could just go to the reference links and it's going to be within the scripts, tricks, and tips section. James Rankin has posted part two of his series on Microsoft Teams on Citrix virtual apps and desktop. So I included part one of the series on a previous episode of the podcast. And this one is particularly dealing with those JSON files, which it's a really pain in the butt for making setting changes versus via JSON files. So definitely don't deal with that pain alone. Check out James's blog post to learn how to do it effectively. Kind of in the vein of 
the excellent resources related to WVD and FS Logics that Jim Moyle has put together, John Saville has put together a really great Azure, Azure masterclass on YouTube and with an amazing set of resources on his GitHub repository. There's links for days. So I would say if you actually wanted to get into Azure and WVD, these are probably two excellent resources to start with, both John and Jim's excellent content. And finally, a quick tip from the awesome Jen Gentleman, another really great follow on Twitter. She's just churning out these excellent tips all the time. But she had a really great simple tip. If you want to paste in Windows without formatting, just use the Windows key plus V. So not Control V, Windows key and V. So I feel like this is a particularly long episode of the podcast. If you managed to stick with me for the entire thing, thank you so much. And thanks to everyone who listens every week. 